Welcome to the Once in Future Authors Podcast. I'm Stephanie, and I'm so excited today to be joined by a new author, Mary Connedy Sullivan. The book that Mary wrote is something you are definitely going to want to hear about. Nudges from the Other Side, True Stories of Afterlife Communication. It is such a moving book, and I'm so delighted to have Mary with us to talk about her experiences and the book, and you'll definitely want to grab a copy. So thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you. Oh, well, I I know the story because I'm so fortunate to have read the book, but for those who haven't, can you bring us back to what started the whole story and then the book? Just mm-hmm. to catch everyone up, thank you. Yeah, yeah, thanks so much. Um, well, it was a very unfortunate circumstance that led me to writing. Um, I lost my 20-year-old child, my only child, um, to a fatal car accident on Memorial Day in 2010. And as you can imagine, I wasn't even home when it happened. I got word and it was, you know, a dreadful journey coming back home. And then when I got home, there was nothing I could fix. There's just nothing I could do. It was what it was. And I had never contemplated the awfulness of that sort of a journey. You know, we all think about, well, what if I get cancer? Or what if, um, you know, some other dreadful thing happens? But that was just one that had never even flitted through my mind. And I really was knocked off my feet. I didn't know what to do. I was inconsolable. I was affecting everyone in my orbit with my bad you know, feelings that this black cloud that I was dragging around with me every single day. And I didn't know whether to go back to work after the funeral. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know whether to roll up in a ball. I just sort of like was floundering. And I had never felt 100% out of control in my life until then. And one day, a very influential internal client and and, um, called me and he said, Mary, you know, how are you doing? And I said, I don't even have any words for how I'm doing. I don't even know what I'm doing, how I'm doing, where I'm doing it. I'm just existing. I'm basically just taking one breath after another. And he said, you know, listen, what I want you to do is if you want to work, you feel like working, work. If you don't feel like working, don't work. And this was at a major financial services firm. They don't ever tell you to not work if you don't feel like it, but he did. And he said, just do what you feel like doing. And his words were on the back cover of my book because at that very moment, when I hung up, I was in an office that looks a lot like this, that moved since then. But I glanced over at that very bookshelf that you can't see, but it's right there. And there was an empty journal that someone had given me just as a gift. And I picked it up and I just began writing. Because the day of Aaron's funeral, the most unbelievable things began happening where I literally felt like he was going, hey, I'm here. You may not be able to see me or really hear me, 
but there are ways that I am nudging you and I'm going to keep doing it. And from that day forward, I wrote down all those instances, as well as years later, when I began telling people about these unlikely things that continue to happen, then they would say, you know what, something like that happened to me. And when I hear a really good one, I would say, would you mind if I write that in my journal? Because somewhere over the years, I have decided that when I had the headspace and the time in life, I would write that, you know, the journal entries as a book and as a gift to the world. And no one ever turned me down. He said, I'd love it if you'd write my story in your journal. And still today, I'm writing entries in the journal, um, particularly after the book launched almost a month ago, Aaron began getting really, really active. So, wow. I guess there's going to be a second edition with all sorts of... Uh, <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, I, I, I am so thrilled that you've written down your experiences and also that other people are hearing this, which is you know, hearing and reading and saying to you, yes, yes, this validates what yeah. has happened to me. Because I think uh, certainly there's that big unknown and um, having any information about that big unknown is so incredibly comforting and enlightening and empowering for people. Right, right. And I, I've really said to people, the book is not only for those who have suffered loss. It's for people that are curious. If they're intensely curious or even mildly curious, it's just a true raw story that is intended to provide people with um, something to think about and ultimately for them to be able to grab onto that hope. Because, you know, we come into this world, I think knowing a lot more things and then we unlearn them from one another. We unlearn things in school and we really get out of touch with what I think the seeds are that live within each of us. And, and something very um, devastating, just any emotion that takes you to the edges, I think can bring that, you know, crack that back open and we can get back in touch with real truth that we're born with. I think I, I love the way you stated that, that, that we go through our life, people say learning, but unlearning because mm -hmm. uh, when we are babies, we are closest to that true knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then we're kind of tainted with uh, everything as we go on and become jaded and we forget. We forget yeah. all those yeah. things. Yeah. You know, for somebody that's on that work wheel or treadmill, um, you know, that's that influential in a major corporation, He's on MSNBC practically every time I turn it on. You know, for him to have the um, the hard knowledge and simple knowledge to utter those words that I dare say he didn't even remember uttering, that was a gift, you know, straight from the universe. And I grabbed it and I did go back to work, by the way, because I didn't know what else to do. And, you know, my work family held me up and it gave me something else to think about. 
But at the same time, there was all this other stuff running alongside of our normal world. I had a supernatural world that was suddenly in my orbit. And it was easy to write about it because everything kept happening. And I knew all the way along the journey how I felt. And so I just poured it out. I am so glad you wrote it down because so often for people, uh, something happens and they don't write it down. Yeah. And then afterwards, they question, maybe I'm remembering it wrong. Maybe right. it didn't really happen. Yeah. Or in my emotional state, you know, did I imagine that? Mm. You know, especially there's one entry in the book where um, my husband and I ride horses and we go to these really remote places. We go camping with the horses. They don't sit around the campfire or anything like that, but we do. And one night early in the journey, we were out there and I looked up and I said to my husband, Look at the clouds, because it literally, they were in a shape where it literally was M-O-M. And I was so blown away to see that. And I can remember as a very young girl lying on my back with my best friend in our backyard. And we'd look at the clouds and I'd go, I see a horse or I see, you know, whatever. But this was like three letters. And I, I drew it. We didn't do a good job of the drawing, but I drew it. And then Dan told me he saw the same thing. So, you know, now if you just ask me out of my memory, did that really happen? I'd go, you know, I think that was a product of a tortured mind, but it really did happen. Right, right. And and because you wrote it down, you don't look back and say, yeah, I can't, it must not be true. You, right. That's a yeah. great thing about journaling I've, I've always wished that I were a journaler people who actually write before this all happened when you were a young girl did you write in a diary were you good about keeping down your thoughts I don't know that I was good about it but my mom and dad did give me a diary you know I was a child of the 1960s and that was just something that you got as a gift I remember it had a little metal lock on it and I did write in it and then I discovered my mom was reading it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I wrote in my career in financial services, albeit I wrote about very technical things. And then on occasion, I would do an essay. And obviously, when I went to college, I wrote a lot as well. Um, I always loved literature. I got awards for reading the most books when I was in grade school. And so, you know, I think it was kind of in my blood. Um, but I always felt funny after I did write something that was fiction. I felt real funny about letting other people read it um, because it felt like I was exposing myself. Well, now I've exposed myself in a major way. I mean, I'm even telling secrets of the book. And no one has yet called me out on anything that I wrote in there, but it's all there for the finding. Yeah. But I decided that, guess what? You know, I'm getting up there in years. I'm retired and I can only do so much more for the world at this point in my life. And it really is intended as a gift um, to people. people. And in fact, I even decided all book proceeds upon my death will go to charity. 
um, you might ask, well, why behind your debt? Well, because we need to manage the money until that time. Absolutely. <laughs> I come out of financial services, so give me a break. Of course, we're going to do well with the money. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I, I think it's so funny. You mentioned how in your early days, you, you had a diary with a lock on it. And when you realized that your mother was reading it, you stopped writing. And yeah. now you've essentially published your diary on, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one of the chapters anyway. You've, real really long. Come a long, you've come a long way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I do want to ask you about that because uh, other people who are memoirists do have that moment of, wow, I, I, I get why I want to put this out there, whether it's a personal experience like yours that people can learn from or associate with and and hopefully maybe even understand their own experiences a little bit better through the lens of yours. But there's gotta have been a moment that you're saying, yes, 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 let's publish a book and no, 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 I don't wanna put all this stuff in the book. Is there like a, a hesitation with putting something so personal out? For me, no, but the reason why is that when I got to the beginning of 2023, my life had sort of opened up a space where I could devote the time to writing it and narrating it because I didn't just like vomit out my, my journal entries, I, I wrapped narration around because otherwise it would be not really understandable. Um, but leading up to that space where I didn't have the time to write, I had really gotten to a point in my mind, in my life, where I was like, you know what, I don't have any more apologies to make. I mean, I do screw up. I, I hurt people around me, you know, without being aware of it sometimes, sometimes deliberately now. And I do apologize for that. But in terms of my journey, it was what it was. It led me to where I am. I learned from it. I made made changes, made course corrections along the way. And I don't feel like apologizing um, for anything that led me to where I am today, which is more or less a place of acceptance of me, the path that was I was destined for, and the serenity that I've been fortunate enough to be led to, I believe, by Aaron, by all the people along the way in my journey, and by the lessons that I just took from it and, you know, made what I made out of it. That's great. That's great that you had the time. What would you possibly recommend? Have people come to you since and said, I'd like to write my story? What would you say to them to, to get started? or to get to that finish line? Because sometimes the hardest part is right near the end. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess, well, first of all, no one has actually asked me that, but if they did, you know, what I would say is, um, be just really deliberate about setting aside the time. And I made sure that I wrote at least three to five days every week. And that didn't mean I sat there for eight hours. There were days when I was writing for five or six hours because I was energized by a journal entry and by making the narration for it. 
Um, but you know, if you don't, I, I always say, if you don't really write down your goals and you don't really set aside the time on your calendar, then it's always going to remain a wish. And it's up to you to dedicate the time um, to doing it. And then there's just a lot of good information out there on, you know, writing a book. I think Reedsy, I used them early on and just um, researched a few things. I think you've got some assets out there that people can use. And so I do my research and then I make a plan, literally write it down. Then I dedicate the time on my calendar and then go for it. Worked, okay. Now you said that you've had a number of um, communications or nudges since the book came out. Yeah. Kind of uh, exploded. Can you share some with us? Yeah, I'd be glad to do that. So I'm a really big believer in the secret, which is a book by Rhonda Byrne. And probably you and a lot of, of your listeners are aware of it. But it really talks about... Um, the way that our thoughts can provoke the universe to get in alignment in accordance with our our thoughts and our words and our intentions. And um, so when the book was getting ready to launch, I really thought about what were my intentions. And obviously I had thought about it all the way. But, but one bubble to the surface, and that was, I really want to sell a million copies of the book around the world. And as you know, and other authors know, authors don't make much money. But if I were able to sell a million copies, that could be a nice chunk of change that I later on could give to a charity. And so it seemed an improbable goal. And then the book launched, as you know, on October 15th, and I was disappointed because it was only available in digital format. And I know many readers prefer to hold a book in their hands, especially one like that. And so I kind of hid it under my blanket, didn't say anybody, crossed my fingers that no one else would notice, and that somehow... You would know I didn't want you to say anything either, which how could you have known that? But anyway, so I kept it under a bushel basket. And now it was a Sunday. And I can remember that day feeling, you know, in your spirit, I was I was glad it launched, but at the same time, I was really disappointed because I thought all versions would be available, right? And so I'm vacuuming the house. And you know, I your mind can wander a lot when you're doing a mundane task like that. And I'm thinking about Aaron and I'm talking to him and telling him, you know, T, I wanted us to sell a million copies. And I say us because he wrote the book as much as I did. Um, and so anyway, I wanted to sell a million copies and here we are launching and I can't even really say anything. I don't really want to say anything. You know, it was one of those woe is me moments. And so after the vacuuming was finished, I picked up my phone and I put on some music and there's a station on Pandora and the name of it is Happy. And it plays like the most broad genres and every era of music imaginable. So literally there's millions of songs out there. I put it on, I don't cue anything up. And the very first song that comes on is the notes of Simple Man. 
And that was the song that throughout Aaron's short life, I always said, I want you to play that at my funeral because I want those words to be my last words that ring in your mind. And it's the awful song by Leonard Skinner. And so I'm like blown away because I've never heard that genre, even though they do play all the genres on Happy. I never heard that genre or that song come on. And I'm like, well, our book launched today and look at you, you know, prodding me. But that wasn't enough. The very next song was a song that I had never heard before, the name of which is Unstoppable. And it made me feel like, well, regardless of my efforts, the book is going to be unstoppable. It'll go to who it needs to go to. It will get in the right hands. And I was just like, okay, well, thank you. I needed to hear that today. But that wasn't enough. The very next song that came on was Chris Stapleton's Millionaire. Mm. And I don't have a goal of me being the millionaire. I have a goal of making a million in order to give it away. So that was one. Wow. Yeah. That's that's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. And like you said, it's been exponential since the book launched. So all of those things that are already written in the book and now even more. And you said people are coming to you with stories of these people yeah. that beforehand maybe didn't know your story. Right, yes. Um, almost every day I do hear from somebody um, that tells me, you know, I love the book. It really, really made me sad and think I'm making some changes in my life as a result. Um, or they tell me, you know, I could have written some of the stories in the book because things like that have happened to me. And, you know, hopefully they're going to write a review. Everyone that talks to me about it, I urge them to write a review and pass along word of the book's existence. But I think that's, yeah, my goal is just ignite it, you know, like in church at Christmas when you light a candle, if you've ever done this, um, and you pass just that one single flame to the person next to you. But within, you know, 10 minutes, there may be hundreds of candles lit in sanctuary. And that's sort of this intention and vision uh, that I have for the book. Oh, that's fabulous. I love that vision. And I so love that people are contacting you. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, if you picture each person, even like your candles, alone, alone with their candle, but then when they see yours and, and they realize they're not alone, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, and I'm sure that there are so many people who have had experiences who, because they felt alone, might have even questioned their own experiences. Mm -hmm. And then right. when they read about yours, they said, oh, no, no, mine, <laughs> mine are without question. Right, right. And, you know, hopefully it will inspire people um, to be on the watch and to be looking around them. I think as a result of all these things, I've become much more aware and living in the present more. It's easy to live in our minds and think about the next thing and the next thing and, you know, get ourselves all wound up about 
our goals or our obligations. But I think if we can take a moment, you know, even at the beginning of the day or the end of the day or at points during the middle, um, to, to kind of reground and just be really present, I think there's kind of like these mini miracles going on all around us. And, you know, for me, and I talk about this a lot in the book, a lot of things come to me through the animals that are in my life. And sometimes it's even animals that are wild and not mine. But if we watch and we listen and keep our eyes open and our minds open, the universe is talking to us all the time. I'm so glad you mentioned animals because there's a big section in your book about horses. Can you mm-hmm. speak to us about that experience? Yes. Um, somewhere along the way, only a couple months after Aaron's passing, it was like a seed was just planted in my mind. And I contacted a woman in the mountains of North Carolina that runs a place known as Equinection. And um, she really does equine assisted work. And I made arrangements to go there alone for the weekend. And it was just she and I on this like hundreds of acres of ranch in the mountains. Absolutely, utterly beautiful. Like a take your breath away place. And as with the time that I'd gone there before, her, not for in therapy reasons, but just it was a leadership thing that Dan and I were doing. When I entered the gates, I just felt like I had entered a sanctuary. I had this very strong feeling that I had lived there before, maybe in another life. And, you know, we don't have proof of any of that other than what our soul is telling us. But I was glad I was there. And I work with this giant uh, draft cross, very big horse that I was drawn to as I was drawn to the very first time I ever went there. But this was a very different reason. And I was broken. I was just utterly broken when I got there. And through the owner's um, work and, and the horse's work, I named him Romeo. That is not his name, but that was who he was to me. Um, I just was able to experience the most amazing things. As many of you probably know, horses do not But Romeo did that weekend. And when he did it, I I was bawling and talking, you know, straight from my heart and pouring out um, my feelings. And um, she stopped me real gently and she said, I want you to look up. And literally, he was at liberty. We didn't have any equipment on him. He could go or do whatever he wanted. But there was the two of us and him, and he was there with his head literally hanging over me like he was protecting me because his heart was right next to mine, and tears were coming from uh, one of his eyes. And it was profound, and she said, you have no idea how profound this is because they don't do this. And later on, I felt sort of guilty for thrusting myself on him. But as the more I thought about it, 
you know, he kind of walked away and said, I don't want any of this shit. I don't want part of this. Um, but he didn't. And he hung with me all weekend, um, literally facilitating what came out of Karen's mouth as she watched and listened. And then other just crazy things happened. Um, a dragonfly came and sat on me. And a dragonfly early on was uh, very symbolic for me with Aaron. And just, you have to read it all in the book because I could go on and on about it. But it, it was just amazing. Oh, yeah. No, we want we want everyone to read it in the book. It's so <laughs> wonderful to hear it directly from you as well. Uh, nudges from the other side. True Stories of Afterlife Communication by Mary Connedy Sullivan. Uh, definitely get your copy and you too can receive heart-centered hope and comfort. Yes, you can connect with your loved ones after they've crossed over. Mary, I'm so delighted that you've joined us and the impact that your book is having on others. I'm so excited for all of those lives touched. And I know it's going to be so much more. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, thank you. Namaste.